Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. So week one is in the books and the Ravens are 1-0 after a 24-9 victory over the Jets in New York. So welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Shane Richmond. Handling things in the absence of Gaz Paul, who is in Miami and moaning about it, or at least he was on Sunday. Uh, the bar didn't have the right game on the television or something, something awful, the sort of thing that can ruin a honeymoon. Uh, and I'm joined by uh, Ian Domain and James Ogden. Um, how, are you, how are you doing, guys? Doing good, thanks. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, glad, glad to be back. Um, and well, we'll get to talking about the game a bit later on, but uh, I trust everybody was pretty happy with that as a first outing. Yeah, it was slow going to start with, wasn't it? But we, uh, yeah, the Ravens picked it up and uh, yeah, started to look. I, I wonder whether there was a lot of preseason rust that needed to be uh, shaken off by a lot of guys not playing in preseason. It looked a lot different in the second half than it did in the first half. Yeah, ha- happy with the result. Absolutely filthy with NFL Game Pass, who, who ruined the entire day for me. Um, as I said last week, I was away on my, my uh, anniversary weekend. So Saturday, we had a lovely day out and about. Sunday, I turned my phone off. I cooked a roast dinner. We had a, a, a lovely day. About half past 10, I settled down to watch the game, turned on Game Pass, fired it up clicked on the Ravens and it told me the score the final score right there on the front page <laughs> I turned my phone off I'd had no contact with anybody the entire day ruined absolutely it's, ruined it's like a classic you had one job moment isn't it like just seriously why would you assume that that's the default <laughs> like anyone turning it on yeah of course you want to know how the game turned out amazing absolutely amazing uh, so before we get into talking about the game Um, before we look ahead to week two against the Dolphins. uh, We should quickly recap some of the news. Um, And, well, it says on the show script, for the last time this season, the Lamar contract, but, um, well, we'll see about that. Um, We have some details, Ian, about what exactly was offered to Lamar at the end of last week and and what exactly he turned down. It seems what's, what's been happening. Yeah, it exactly might be a stretch because I think we're still sort of we're still clutching at numbers here. But uh but more report came out, didn't he, on, on the morning of the game, which was which was nice as well. Sun Sunday morning came out and said Lamar had rejected a six year contract that the Ravens had offered him with a uh, hundred and thirty three million fully guaranteed, which is obviously way, way lower than what Lamar was after. Um if you if you still believe the, the sources, he's after a fully guaranteed contract. Um, he could have earned an, in excess of 290 million. I think this this contract would have would have given him more per year than than your Russell Wilson's, who I think is the, the sort of highest per year at the minute. The sort of last contract they got done, um, and and it it was mentioned that Jackson received counsel from the NFLPA, the the Players Association. So he's, he's gone to them for advice, and and they've basically said you're you're fully justified asking for a, a guaranteed deal if, if that's what you want you're a former MVP uh, you're young you know if this is if this is what you want hold, hold on for it so that was that was what we got Sunday morning and then I think some poor ESPN reporter embarrassed herself uh, at the 
after the game asking Lamar questions and she got her numbers completely wrong and told him that he turned down 250 million guaranteed again which he denied <laughs> uh, uh, so sorry go ahead James no I was just going to say it's a uh, it, I think it's it's an interesting situation the, the way it was the way some of it was worded some of it was worded was that it was a you know amicable amicable negotiations uh, and kind of a mutual decision to break it off ready for the season that it, it the, the way it was framed was not framed in the way that I, I am gen I am concerned about and have I've spoken about loads of times that um that that this could be the end game for Lamar could be a um, a hugely lucrative deal in in free agency three years from now, um, after he's been tagged probably twice by the Ravens, so it didn't feel like that. It felt like uh, you know this is just the ending of the current round of negotiations, and they'll come back to it. And there was lots of lots of reporting about Lamar, Lamar's preference being to stay with the Ravens. Um, so I think that was that was positive in that sense. And it, it felt like the news conference uh, that that was quite positive as well, even though obviously the, the reporter gave the wrong <laughs> the wrong figure. Um, so I, I'm, I was quite uh, like a little bit encouraged by it. Um, obviously, it's disappointing that the negotiations have been broken off. I think to, if they're going to get this done, they're going to have to offer a lot more than 130 million guaranteed. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do a, um, a fully, I'm, I'm sure they won't do a fully guaranteed contract. Um, I don't necessarily think that I'm sure that's Lamar's negotiating position, but I don't know that that is specifically what he's going for. It seems like it just needs to be a bit more than 133 million. Um, the the annual per year seemed pretty good. It's um, just it, the only one that would have been above him would have been Aaron Rodgers, um, who's on a ridiculously lucrative three year deal in Green to stay in Green Bay. So I think that's probably appropriate. Um, so it seems like the the average per year was was the right way to go. It's just the it's just that guaranteed number that just needs to come up considerably if the Ravens are going to get this done. And this is where the absence of an agent for Lamar becomes just adds confusion to it because an agent might well say to him, "Look, nobody wants to do these kind of guaranteed deals. The Browns are just out on an island with that one. Uh, you should be looking at the average per year, and it's good." But on the other hand, if he doesn't have anybody saying that to him, he may well have said, look, this is my goal. This is what I think I can get. And as you say, James, if he feels like he can, at the end of the road, he's going to get his a huge sum of money one way or the other, he may well be digging in and holding on for that. Um, Jason LeCamphora said uh, that we can expect Lamar to be traded before the end of the season. So we know that's not going to happen. Um, if you want any kind of guide to what won't happen listen to what jason the camper tells you is is about to happen but um it does seem as though everything else is still kind of in play um there are a lot of people who, would, who don't you know then you get this with national media quite a lot because they don't follow the detail they're kind of assuming that if the ravens have to tag lamar back-to-back uh, -back times that would be bad i mean actually they've kind of figured that that they can cope with that and I'm sure that wouldn't be their preferred outcome but it's doable um it's just everybody has been become so um so used to the idea that tagging a player is a sign that, that everything's gone pear-shaped entirely but um uh, I think it's it seems like well maybe it'll go quiet now maybe people will stop talking about it but let's see I guess 
you've both mentioned before how neither side's really in a rush for this. They they can wait another uh, another season, and and you you're both right. So come next season, Herbert and Burrow's deals are, are both going to be starting to get talked about. So the, the the best outcome from the Ravens is both of those players sign deals with sort of slightly less guaranteed money. Uh, Lamar Lamar can have a look at that. I'm I'm still not in the the panic station, which I've seen a few a few fans have, have jumped off cliffs already. I I still think this deal gets done. I think the Ravens know they have to pay Lamar, and I think when the time comes, they absolutely have to. They will, and and that guaranteed money will probably end up somewhere near two hundred million. It's going to be huge, but but I don't think it'll be fully guaranteed. And and I think when it gets to that stage, surely Lamar has to be clever enough to to take that rather than end up going and playing for the the Lions or the you know one of these absolute horror franchises that, that might give him a, a fully guaranteed deal but he's spoken over and over about how he wants to win and he wants to win Super Bowls you're not going to do that a, a franchise that will pay you a, a fully guaranteed deal I think we're we're at least 18 months to two years away from panic stations you know that that's that third that second tag so the the third one-year deal that he would be on is is the real problematic tag like that that will be prohibitively expensive the ravens will do it because it won't it's it won't be completely prohibitively expensive but it will seriously hamstring their ability to to put a roster around lamar uh, so it it, it 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 will be so expensive that it will be detrimental to the team so that tag is the one you know if it gets to that tag then then we're in panic stations because I think if it gets to that tag, Lamar is legitimately a year away from free agency at that point, and the Ravens would have to entertain some kind of trade at that point. I'm not sure that they would have to try and get some value back, um, but his value would be severely diminished because he'd be a year away from a year away from free agency, and and you know a team trading for him would have to be willing to extend him with a fully guaranteed contract. So it's it's like there's. There are, that's when there are, that's when we really need to start worrying. Now is not when we need to start worrying. Yeah, if, if anything, Lamar has backed himself into a corner to have an amazing season. He's, you know, the way he continues to to push up his value, the way this works for him is if he continues to play at an MVP level, and um, that's how he get makes this work for him. So he, I mean, the kid was more motivated than anybody in the league already, anyway. So it's not really. It's not really extra motivation. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. But uh, yeah, we should be prepared for a really good Lamar season, I think. Yeah, no, I think that all sounds good. Um, uh, the bad news, however, is that uh, we still don't seem to be out from under the injury cloud. Um, even uh, Anthony Averett got injured this week. It's like, for goodness sake, fake, like he's left. He's no longer a raven. What are you doing? It's like somebody up on a cloud somewhere just zapping. Uh, anyway, yeah, to, to go back to people who are actually on our roster, um, James, where are we at with uh, with injuries? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, we were we we are not off. Maybe I was a bit naive. I'm sure there were others that were also naive to think that we would get to this point and all of those injuries from a year ago would would be would would have gone away. It wasn't to be the case. Um, obviously, we never really expected Tyus Bowser back, but Bowser's still out. Peter's out for this game. Uh, Dobbins out for this game. Stanley out for this game. So it's just kind of the, the you know the the issues are still there, and uh, you know it, it feels like it's going to be mid season um, until all those guys are, are fully up, you know, back and up to speed. 
um, of course, Peters. Did I mention Peter? I don't think I mentioned Marcus Peters as well, which is you know a, you know a real blow. I think, and then obviously the the injury bug hit during the game with um, with Jawan James tearing his Achilles and Kyle Fuller tearing his ACL, which is just you know yet another hit to the depth. The Jawan James injury is is really annoying, given that the Ravens picked him up. Um, with the uh, after the, after he'd been, if people remember, he'd been waived by I think it was the Broncos, um, who uh, really sort of ruthlessly got cut him after a really bad injury, and the Ravens picked him up, paid him not much last year to keep him for a year, then paid him decent money this year, uh, hoping that he would be back, and <laughs> and he's not. You know, it feels to me like it could be the the end of the road for him. So it's just a real. Yeah, it just continues to hit hit the Ravens harder. I think they're in a good, they're in a much better situation than they were from the end of last year. Um, and it, you know, we'll go into the game, but it felt like um, Mike McDonald really coordinated. Um, you know, he called a really good game um, for the personnel he had out on the field. Um, so that was that was really great. But I think yeah, the the Ravens are still still injury bitten. Is the is the headline here? I feel bad for James because he just doesn't seem to have been able to catch a break throughout his entire career. And it's one of those things where, yeah, as you say, this this might be it for him now. I don't know whether um, the, the Ravens will have any need to keep him around, depending on what happens with Stanley. And if they don't, then is anybody else going to pick him up? Probably not at this point with his with his past. Um, Fuller, on the other hand, Ian, it's um, it's artificial turf strikes again. It has it's a bit of a nightmare. Artificial turf, isn't it? It is. We're, we're gonna so we're gonna move on. I can see the next the next item is is the inactive list. Um, and and I was thinking that myself. We've we've ragged on on the Washington Commanders and their horrible field, but I'm pretty sure that the Jets the Jets field has claimed its fair share as well. And it is. It is an astroturf field. It was wet as well. I don't know if you've ever tried to play five aside on a on a wet astro. You're slipping around everywhere. And I did want, wonder with a few of the in, inactives, someone like Boyle, who had played in the preseason and, and looked okay, had practiced and was held out of this game and, and sort of had people wondering. You had Marcus Peters, who was running up and down the stairs at the stadium, um, Rocky style, obviously trying to show off that he's fit and he, he should be out there. And I'm wondering whether Harbour and the training staff, we, we know they've gone ultra cautious, whether it was AstroTurf field, it was a bit wet and they're thinking we're not risking anything here, anything at all. And it, and it, it has claimed two, two victims as, as, it, as it is. Um, I read somewhere today that Fuller had gone five straight seasons without missing a game through injury. And his first first game for the Ravens that he gets carted off, so it does feel a bit like we're, as you say, we're we're under the cloud with with the man in the sky zapping us. It's it's incredibly frustrating, and you feel like the NFLPA really needs to put pressure on teams to to get rid of these artificial fields. I mean, the Ravens have uh, they had one until ten years ago. I feel like they they then they ripped it out and put in grass, and and it was with a view to to player health which is actually a, you know a, an instance of an nfl team genuinely um spending the money to keep players healthy but there's still too many teams relying on them and even with a even in a, a covered stadium even in a dome these days you can have natural grass um and still make it work there's there's no need for these surfaces to be in to be in stadiums by not holding my breath to to get them removed 
Yeah, and also, you know, you know additional hazards in, in Washington are, you know, a part of the problem too, obviously, with falling stands and things yeah. like that. You know. None of the infrastructure can be trusted. So thankfully, we don't have to worry about that one uh, just this season. So we mentioned the the inactives um, for Sunday's game. Uh, and James, you mentioned at the beginning that it was a slow start, um, and particularly in the run game, which didn't really seem to be getting anywhere. Um, and you were saying at the, at the top of the show, you were saying it looked like rust from your point of view. Yeah, to me, it seemed like it was rust. I think there was also the 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 fact that the Jets chose to to really sell out to stop the run and and sort of ran with the I don't know the the twenty twenty version of the figured Lamar out playbook um, of kind of just selling out to stop the run with with um, with really heavy boxes and it, it just didn't it, it just didn't work that 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 hasn't worked for a long time against the Ravens offense. Eventually the Ravens will start connecting on big passing plays and you'll have to adjust. And then the Ravens will be able to run the ball. And it's just not, it is not the way to, to, to beat the Ravens. Um, so it was a strange game plan that he, that he went with there. So it, it felt like, yes, the running game wasn't, wasn't great, but I think there was some rust in the passing game early, which, which meant that that stayed as a, a you know, stayed as a pretty, pretty low score but then you started to see the running game get going as well and you started to see Kenyon Drake have a few um good runs I think you know that is a real upgrade in terms of you know Mike Davis I, I really like but he's still sort of from the 2016 fantasy football all-star team really you know with with Lev Bell and uh, um uh the Bonza Freeman and all those guys from last year so he's still you know he he's a good he's a good back and and that's fine but I think Kenyon Drake is just a little bit different and so we probably will get some decent production out of him um until Dobbins is back and, and beyond more than more than likely uh I'll be the first person to mention Cole Jackson this week but uh he put out a good video looking at uh some of those early running plays and why they weren't working uh and a lot of it it does seem to have been the Jets' front, but also just little mistakes by the Ravens, which were causing problems, and they just weren't opening holes and that kind of stuff. You feel like they're going to get that fixed, and the number of players... They mentioned, I think, during the broadcast, it was something like 20 Ravens who just didn't take the field in preseason. If you have that many guys playing their first meaningful snaps, there's obviously going to be some you know, miscommunications and people in a split second making the wrong decision or you know, pushing so the man they're blocking right instead of left and so on. Um, and also, I guess, Ian, it's kind of a sign of that same sort of rust that they they seem to be fighting against the play clock too many times. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if we can let them off with rust on this one because this has been a, a two or three year thing. So I'm not sure whether it's Lamar, whether it's Greg Roman, what's going on, but they're constantly breaking the huddle with sort of under 10 seconds and and you yourself you're watching the play clock countdown you see Lamar start clapping his hands when it gets to sort of one and they just about get it off and someone has to be to blame for this and it can't keep happening like this this can't be a thing all year I think Harbaugh came out and said they were they were throwing in sort of two play calls one for a man and one for zone I mean this this is not the first year of Lamar running this offense like we we need to take the reins off a bit here get out of the huddle, have a look what's going on and, you know, let's let's slow things down a bit, but in the right way. You just take our time reading the defence and then and then getting the play right from there. 
Well, also, if they were doing that, if they were sending in two plays, when was Lamar supposed to have chosen the play? Because he wasn't able to get to the line and look at the defense and decide which play to get in because he's desperately trying to get the ball snapped. Just, I'm, I'm with you, Ian. I just, I'm not sure this can be, this is Ross. There, there's a fundamental issue that's been going on for a long while and, and they need to get it, they do need to get it fixed. You know, it. I, I think I'm with you on the kind of removing the training wheels a little bit and uh yeah they, they used to send Peyton Manning in with several plays at his disposal but he'd, he'd call the primary play and then decide at the line of scrimmage what was where it was going next so um and you know I just think <laughs> Lamar at this point in his career is more than cerebral enough to be able to do do a lot of that um so I just yeah it seems seems bonkers and Peyton Manning's a prime example of the advantage of getting up to the line early because he did so much stuff to determine whether a play was going to work or not simply by watching where the defense were and you know doing all of his fake calls and all of that stuff um and you're taking that away from Lamar if you're if you're getting him out of the huddle with five seconds to go I was just gonna say the, the crazy thing as well about the Jets game is that you know Salah's defense is not a particularly disguised defense you know it's not that they, they, they don't you know they run cover three it's not it's not something that you know you have to worry about the lot you don't have to worry about them you know changing out of out of um you know rotating post snap and changing out of their coverage into a different shell or or doing loads of split field coverages it's pretty it's pretty vanilla um so it's it's not even like it was really that necessary as we said slow first half started to open things up towards towards half time with a scoring drive and then early in the third quarter that that momentum kind of built um duvernay got two touchdown passes ian do we think this is duvernay's moment that he's arriving or is this kind of you know still got to wait and see i was really happy for him i thought this was this was this was a really good a really good game for him um obviously came up with the the two touchdown grabs i think it took him all of last year to to get that so um really pleased for him and, and the first one especially that that wasn't an easy catch you know i think next gen stats had it down as the the toughest touchdown grab uh of, of the week he did really well a, a good ball by lamar but but a, a great adjustment and catch by duvernay and, and to come down with it and um, for as much as I've seen, there's a video going around on Twitter again of Greg Roman's passing concepts with Mark Andrews, I think it is, and Robinson running into each other. For as much as I've seen that and everyone giving him him grief for that, I haven't seen anyone say how wide open Duvernay was for the, the second touchdown, which was a, a lovely concept. Mark Andrews sitting down in the zone, everyone hovering around him, and, and Duvernay comes across. So I think we've got to give him some props for that. I'm not sure whether this is Duvernay nailed on as the the third guy behind Bateman and, and and Andrews I think it was his week I think there's going to be there's going to be other weeks where it's likely I, I hope for James's sake Prochet gets involved somewhere along the line um, and obviously the running game is going to come good at some stage so I, there's not going to be that many targets to go around but but this was Duvernay's week and and it just it, it's that other thing we, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago when you've got Bateman you've got Andrews you can't double everyone there is going to be an open receiver somewhere and these guys the Duvernays the Prochets the Wallaces someone's going to get an opportunity and they, they need to step up I did think of you, Ian, as it as it happened, given that your you know your tweet that you were you were going to put out about Duvernay breaking out this year, and um, you know I, I still I still like I'm still yet to see like it was great from Duvernay and and but the the two routes that he won on were the type of routes that I expect him to potentially win on, and that's great for the Ravens. I think like you say, and it was his week, um, and you know he won on those 
on those and he showed you know his what he can do which is the straight line speed he's great he is really good at the catch point he's always had fantastic hands so uh you know he showed what he can bring to this offense uh week in week out and if you if you do neglect if you do neglect him and you you focus too much on on some of the other weapons that the ravens have like like mark andrews he showed that duvernay is is getting to the point where he's going to be able to to step up and beat you um and the ravens are going to be all the better for it so i'm not sure I, I think I agree. I'm not sure he's the nailed on third receiver and that's just a big breakout now, but you know, the, the you, you're not going to be able to focus all of your attention on, on Bateman and Andrews because it, it will mean that DuVernay does, um, will step up now. And relatively quiet games for Andrews and uh, for, for Bateman. I mean, obviously Bateman had the massive touchdown grab, but apart from that, he was kept relatively quiet. Uh, Andrews kept relatively quiet. I mean, is that just a sign of, of what you were both talking about, that the Jets' defense were focused on taking those two guys away primarily, and most of the time they were able to do that? Yeah, I, I think so. I and mean, we say a quiet game. A quiet game for Mark Andrews is five catches, 52 yards. Like That's, you know... There'd be tight ends around around the league screaming, jumping up and down. I've, you know, best day ever. Um, so I think our expectations were a little bit high. And, and, and one of those again, included an incredible catch as well. Yeah. It was that one that was it was a really short pass, but it was an absolutely ridiculous catch. Yeah, I, Andrews will, will have his weeks where he goes off. I mean, if he if he has five catches for fifty two every week, I, I'd sign me up now. I'm I'm happy enough with that. So we, we talked a little bit about Drake and the running back and how that's uh, working out. Um, and obviously we've covered Javon James's injury. I mean, we're, we're probably lucky in some ways that we were able to bring in Makari as backup uh, at left tackle because it, it doesn't feel like that's too much of a patch job, James. Are you kind of comfortable with him taking over at left tackle till Stanley's able to go? I mean, yes, I absolutely am, but I'm I'm like I don't know co-captain of the Pat McCarry uh, fan club train with with Cole Jackson. Um, I I I think Pat McCarry is a very good offensive tackle. I think he's been I think he's been a no, very good. Let's let's not get carried away. He's a solid offensive tackle that is going to be able to come in and do a job for the Ravens. Like he is technically very sound. He is able to um, use his technique to overcome his his athletic limitations, which are are, are pretty large for a for an offensive tackle in the NFL. He is going to be more than capable of tying the Ravens over for three four games. Uh, he's not um, a center playing right tackle, uh, playing left tackle. When he's at center, he is a left tackle playing center. He's an offensive tackle playing center, um, and so this is his is his comfort position. It will likely lose the Ravens a little bit in the run game uh, because he's he's just can't can't move people as well as as other offensive linemen in the running game so it will probably take a little bit off that uh, a little bit of the edge of the running game in some in some instances but I, I just think he will do a, a more than capable job out there I think you know he was he was he was good at right tackle um when he came in at the end of last season and there now there isn't much difference between left tackle and right tackle in the NFL you know we're going up against Miami next week you're going to face Jalen Phillips or Melvin Ingram on either side and and both of them are a handful in different ways and they'll get moved around so it's uh you know you do need two bookends and i think he does a he'll do a solid job um over the over the weeks that until we get Ronnie Stanley back and it certainly didn't seem like that kind of situation where 
a player goes out injured and his backup comes out and you know just stands out like a sore thumb and immediately the defense is starting to to get wins i mean actually i didn't really notice all that much difference in in the lines overall play honestly no and there was the 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 one for the touchdown where he sort of um was ridden back a little bit into Lamar, but and, and and there was a bit of criticism I saw about that. But you know he still did he still won he still won the rep. Like it wasn't it it did disturb Lamar, but it, it was still a it was a great throw and catch. And so I you know I, that kind of job if he's going to do that kind of job it'll work perfectly well for the Ravens. You know it's still the person who bumped Lamar was Macari's back, and then Macari managed to to um to reset an anchor so at that point so that's what's going to happen it, that you know he 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 does slow play his reps a little bit it sometimes does look like he's losing at the start of the rep and then and then he he wins out with his technique so i i just think that's going to continue to happen and and the ravens will be in solid hands for the next few weeks so on the other side of the ball we've got um, a new defensive coordinator making his debut um they only gave up nine points that's a pretty good outing regardless of your opponent but how are we grading mike mcdonald's debut are we sort of are we saying this was a a great performance are we saying well you know it's against the jets and they were playing an aging joe flacco where do we where do we think that that sits as a defensive coordinator's debut for me it was you know it was really it was a really solid performance you know from a from a against a very good a very good play caller you know uh, mike lafleur is a very good play caller he will hurt you if you are if you aren't a good play caller yourself he will find ways to 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 beat you clearly the jets aren't at full full stretch and uh, on at full full speed and you know they they were down dwayne brown at left tackle so they'd had to move george george fan to left tackle i think you know it, the offensive line wasn't in the best shape it was it was okay but you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about like Justin Matabike, who was dominating Lakin Tomlinson, who's been in the league five, six years. So these this these weren't absolute journeymen. George Vance, a, a decent offensive tackle, and um, who played pretty well last year. So it it was it was nothing to get carried away with, and um, by any stretch of the imagination, it wasn't. You know, the Jets aren't a great offense. They're also not a terrible offense. So this was a a good first test that he passed with flying colors. You know, they were shut down for the majority of that offense was shut down for the majority of the game. And and what I found really interesting was just what he was doing. It was very different. It was a very different defensive um, scheme that he was running. You know, we heard all year about all, all offseason about how he's grown up in the Ravens scheme. And, uh, you know, it, we'll see a lot of similar similar things to what happened with Wink. Well, that was just plain wrong <laughs> or it was a some kind of uh, misdirection on the part of the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens are now running a two high shell, uh, which which is you know what most of the league has started to turn to, and um, that was what they did the majority of the game. If they did run a um, a closed middle of the field field coverage where they had just a single high safety, it was in some kind of exotic formation where Marcus Williams was showing blitz and then dropped out to replace Kyle Hamilton as the single high safety. So he's he's doing some really different things. Um, and but working out that too high shell, which is which is the way the, the league has gone, um, and is the way to combat some of these these high powered offenses. And then was really interesting to see the way he brought pressure, which was you know four four man fronts a lot of the time, uh, was getting home with four occasionally. He, he would pepper in 
uh, a true blitz where there would be an extra extra rusher but the majority of the time his his pressure was simulated pressure it was dropping her way into coverage and bringing a bringing a cornerback or a, or a linebacker I thought he used Queen pretty effectively on the blitz it was just um you know it was just a really really promising first outing from the defense it sounds like i'm getting carried away uh I, i'm not <laughs> i think it was a really good first outing and we'll see what happens in the future um and there'll be certainly be stiffer tests but this was uh this was a good first good first hurdle to clear and he cleared it well uh, james might not be but i'm i'm carried away already i'm i'm in love um as much as as we sort of said this this is a different defense it was gr- just great to see him just pin their ears back we i think i'm gonna i'm gonna give myself a little pat on the back i said last week about interior pressure and how we with the two outside linebackers we, we have on the roster we're going to need some interior michael pierce had a, a great game uh Madibike, washington when he came in all, all getting pressure up the middle um but but it, it was coming from everywhere as well um spencer ravens for dummies put has put out so much content today he, he's worth a follow go follow him one of his tweets today was saying how 17 different players rushed the passer at one stage i i I couldn't even name 17 ravens defensive players that you know that's that's how he was just sending them from everywhere there's there's two snaps that he posted where i think it's both michael pierce and calais campbell drop into coverage and and they're rushing stevens and humphrey at the same time it's complete madman stuff in in week one so uh, you'd think in in the first week it might be sort of dumbed down a little bit so if this is him week one i'm yeah, I'm I'm in love already, and and James, sorry, I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm going to bang on the drum for this one. Uh, what was great to see was that it was sparing. It wasn't it wasn't every snap. You know, the, the a lot of the pressure that they got on the on on Joe Flacco was was through four man rush. Was when they were playing much more conservatively, um, which they needed to do a lot more of. And so when he did pepper in those really exotic, um. Blitzes, like I said, there was one where he where he had Kyle Hamilton in the single high position, and he rotated um, Marcus Williams from showing blitz into a single high um, spot. So he's he's got yeah he has a an armory to use, but he's not he's not pulling it out every snap, which is which is really what was what was missing last year. You know, it was it was too much from Wink last year, um, and it was starting to become a bit predictable. So it's great that he's he's just he's Picking is picking and choosing his spots really carefully. So you mentioned Madabike had a great game. Patrick Queen, it looked like had a really good game as well. Are those did you see James those guys being used differently than they were under Wink, or is it a sign that they've just made a step up this year and it's it's part of their progression? Uh, it's a little bit of both, probably um, like a little bit more progression from Queen, uh, but also being asked to to do things a little differently. He was on the field for. for for uh, virtually the whole the whole game, there, there were some things. Uh, I see that the show script is is uh, taking a dig at PFF, which I which I always like to do. Um, but I, I do you know that I would certainly wouldn't have graded them as low as as graded him as low as they did. But there were just there were some things that for him to continue to clean up. There were still some things. Uh, you know he he had one. Um, they th- they threw they ran play action at him at what well they ran play action at one point and he um, didn't bite too badly and and had a really great angle on a drop out that, that took away um the tight end coming across the field and then there was another snap where he bit oh, 
so badly on play action. Um, and obviously linebackers are going to bite on play action. It's fine just as long as you don't sell yourself out to the point where you're about two yards from the quarterback until you realize it's a pass. So there were still some things for him to clean up, but he certainly had a far, far better game. Um, uh, you know, there will be some people that point to the missed to a, to a few missed tackles. I, I felt like a lot of his missed missed tackles weren't really true missed tackles. They were um, situations where he actually did like where the missed tackle actually ended up being a, forcing a play behind the behind the line of scrimmage because he he'd got there, he'd done enough to slow the guy down to let everybody else swarm around. So it wasn't bit you know a, a real issue in the way that it has been in previous seasons so definitely some improvement from queen definitely being able to play differently within that within that um within that defense was a real um advantage to him don't forget when wink was bringing the house and not doing it in the most um the most exotic way uh, it was leaving queen often in really compromising positions in coverage and and mike mcdonald just didn't do that as much I feel bad for lumping on PFF because they're having a rough enough time as it is after their... Uh, I think they, they, they gave Patrick Mahomes the seventh best quarterback grade this week after throwing five touchdown passes. But their their hatred for Patrick Queen and also um, Marcus Williams got a horrible grade from them as well. Who Just from the eye test, Williams and Queen were, were all over the place. So I, it, I, I'm one of those... I don't read too much into it because I see people post... Madabike had a great score and Pierce had a great score. I'm never going to post them on Twitter because I can't, I can't say they had a great score and then go and say Queen and, and Williams had horrible games when when I don't think they did. So um, I've already been in in Gordon's DMs. We'll get him back on at some some stage and he can if he's not too busy with his his soccer, uh, he can he can talk us through their grading system again. I think Gordon would say, and I think PFF would would say, because because I, I I do use PFF. I have a I have a subscription to PFF. You, you need to use PFF as part of the process. Like it, it, I don't think PFF are saying that their grades are the be all and end all. Like I think what they're saying is there are some like empirical ways in which they can grade a player based on the outcome of a play, and um, and that's what they do. And they they will grade that player on that. Like they've 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 done a lot to try and improve the system over the years and yeah it's it's tough to to pile on them but i think if you if if anyone is trying to use pff grades as a this is the like this is the the way this is the way this is how you should be judging a player it's just not that it's just not how you should be using it you should be using it as part of a, a as part of an evaluation of a player um which includes watching watching the film. If you want to evaluate a player, it includes watching the film in detail, all twenty two, looking at the techniques, looking at what he what his responsibility was, what he was supposed to be doing on different plays. Like it's just, yeah, it's one part of an evaluation process, and I, I think they would say the same, quite frankly. And that's where they'll always be slightly hampered is that they they don't know what the player's responsibility was necessarily. You know, they can take a guess at what kind of coverage was being run or, you know, what that player was supposed to do on a particular play. But sometimes the guy who looks like he's the guy who got beaten or is the guy who messed it up is actually the guy who was smart enough to spot the play going wrong and was just in in the, the place when it went wrong. Um, it's very, very hard to kind of say, well, he should have done that. That's a bad thing. It's kind of easy to, to pick up on missed tackles and, and things like that. But, you know, when you're sort of determining, well, you know, he should have been in coverage there or he should have been setting the edge or, you know, those things are much more complicated unless you know the actual assignment, which I think is why 
coaches can sometimes be a bit sniffy with it, even though I think all of the teams use it as well, don't they? I don't think there's any, I don't know if there's any teams that don't. Um, but it was, we saw uh, Ian a, a welcome return of turnovers to the Ravens defense after quite a low uh, output last year. Yeah, so we we talked about Marcus and his horrible PFF grade, but he he got given an absolute gift, didn't he, by by Joe Flacco? Uh, the receiver fell down in the middle of the field, and and he, he threw one slightly high, and and Williams was there, uh, picked one off his his first pick. Hopefully, uh, I think didn't um, Earl Thomas picked one off in his first game as well, didn't he? So hope hopefully this one works out a little bit better than than that did. And then James spoke about him last week and how underrated he was and how, you know, he, he's a big, big player for this team. And, and that's Chuck Clark, who who forced a forced a fumble, which I think Marlon jumped on. Um, but Chuck, Chuck Clark had an outstanding game as well. And um, uh, yeah, if, win, win the turn, turnover battle, you win the game. I think with the, the secondary that, that we've got, especially when and if Marcus Peters comes back, you know, you keep turning the ball over like that, you're, you're going to win more games than you lose. And we seem to be a bit sort of um, the the you can go either way on Kyle Hamilton. I've seen people saying that uh, his tackling was exposed and he didn't have a good game. I've seen other people saying that he had actually a pretty good game. If you you know look at the whole thing, um, James, what's your what's your view of the rookie's uh, first uh, regular season outing? Yeah, I felt he I felt he was fine. And, you know, solid first first outing. It's going to take some time with him to get to where. You know, when I say time, I don't mean two years. I mean it's going to take a few games for him to 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 catch up. But the the kid is, you know, he's plenty athletic. He's um, extremely cerebral. He, he has a great understanding of the game, a really high football IQ, um, and so he's he's going to be fine. I, I just, uh, you know, there were a few moments in the game where you where you'd want to see want to want to see him do better, but I I, I felt he had a he had a fine fine first outing and. Uh, as the game starts to slow down for him a little bit more, we'll start to see um, him come into his own. And um, as Ian rightly pointed out, you know Chuck Clark had a great game, and, and most a lot of the the you know the, a lot of it he he wasn't really needed as much as um, as much as we thought. Which is uh, actually is what we thought. We thought he would be um, sort of eased in. Um, it was really positive to see him play so many snaps in the second half. Um, when the Ravens moved into um, yeah moved into their kind of um, their their dime formation for most of the second half, so that was that was pretty good um, to see him on the field so much. And in a week when uh, the NFL demonstrated just how hard it is to actually kick things successfully through uprights, uh, we should mention that uh, Justin Tucker came on and got the job done without any kind of difficulties whatsoever, which uh, remains something that we shouldn't take for granted. And then Jordan Stout in his first outing had, uh, I think it was like 400 punts or something, wasn't it? It was like for, it was getting up there for a while anyway, and uh, seemed to deliver all of those perfectly competently. So uh, good work for for. Uh, the special teams department as well. Um, before we move into looking ahead to uh, to the Dolphins game, and we've got Steve, uh, who's a Miami Dolphins fan, to come on and talk us through um, what we can expect from that one. Uh, let's each of us pick a UK, uh, it says here UK Raven of the Week, but that can't be right because none of us played. A Raven of the Week. We're going to pick the UK Ravens Raven of the Week. Um, uh, James, who would your Raven of the Week be for, the, for this game? Uh, it's Matt BK for me. Um, you know, we we 
we were hoping for a, for a second year breakout. I think most of us forgot that he didn't have uh, much of a rookie season. So feels like the second year was sort of almost morphed together a little bit with his rookie year until we saw a, you know, we saw a really different version of Matabike. And I, I am really excited to see him going forward. One of the things uh, Mike McDonald did do is run some, run a few stunts and I'm, uh, they didn't quite work out, but I'm excited to see Madabike and, and Owe rushing in tandem over the course of a full season. Uh, and if we can get that kind of push up the middle from, from Madabike, that kind of pressure, it's um, they're going to be a difficult defensive line to handle most of the year. Ian, who gets your Raven of the Week boat? Yeah, I'm staying on the D-line as well. I'm going to go Michael Pierce, who I thought was just, just everywhere from, from the first snap. Um, just looked like a completely different different player. He was he was constantly in the backfield. He was chasing people down as well. He was he was all over. I, I like his little celebration as well. So my Raven of the Week is Michael Pierce. Uh, and I think I'm going to go for Joe Flack. Oh, no, he's not. Wait a second. He's not. doesn't play for us anymore, does he? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the other side of the ball, though, because I feel like we should throw an offensive player into the mix i'm going to go with devin duvernay he had uh, uh, an excellent game as we discussed earlier so uh, great start for him um and it says we may run a twitter poll of those nominations so you can pick your favorite of the three uh so that's a good start to the season let's look ahead to week two now with uh steve and we're going to talk about the miami dolphins <laughs> So now I'm joined by Steve, who is uh, a, a long-time Miami Dolphins fan, as he's going to tell us, uh, and he's going to help preview uh, the coming Week 2 matchup. So, hi Steve, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, very well, especially after the weekend. I can imagine. A nice, comfortable win over the Patriots. That's quite a nice, uh, always a nice way to start the season, I'm sure. Very nice indeed, and nice to put Bill Belichick at 70 and 80 without Brady. Always enjoy that. Enjoy Absolutely. that record, Bill. Um, so let me start then by going back a little bit. How come uh, you're a Miami Dolphins fan? Why the Dolphins? Um, probably a two-pronged thing. So Channel 4's coverage in the 80s. Yes, I'm showing my age. Um, obviously, Dan Marino was the quarterback. Marino, Dolphins. I was a bit of a geeky kid. Thought, God, he must be, he must be a superhero with a name like that. Um, and he played like one as well. And then... I was only eight when I first went to Miami on holiday, lucky enough, I was a kid, and I went and my, and my parents took me to the Orange Bowl um, in 1986 to watch Marino play, and I, I came back to England in a full Dolphins uniform with helmet and shoulder pads, <laughs> and uh, used to wear it around the locale of Wantage, I'm surprised Ian never saw me, so there we go. Amazing. So let's come up to modern day. Um, and uh, yeah, but tell us a little bit about week one. Yeah, it was, it was very comfortable, to be honest. Um, obviously, a 27 win over, over the Patriots. Um, I think the, the very comforting thing for us was our defence um, took off where it left off last year. There were some, some concerns after Flores left for all, that he, all of his negatives, that he's a very good defensive mind. Um, and and what would you know? Could Josh Boyer, the new def- uh, the defensive coordinator, keep that going? Well, I think I think he showed that, that he more than could. Um, and to be honest, the Patriots only drive for seven. They got on a classic Patriots uh, ticky tack flag pass interference, as we know. They they made a made a legacy out of that. So um, it was a very very strong defensive performance led by that. 
we know that the main lightning rod, obviously, in the Dolphins is, is Momantua. Um, uh, you know, I think it was a very, it, it was it was a solid performance from Tua um, to get things going. It was it, it wasn't his best. He, he definitely left some meat on the bone, um, but we saw glimpses of what Tyreek Hill um, paired with Jalen Waddle is going to bring to this offense. Um, and also, you know, we haven't seen the likes of which the formations and motions that Mike McDaniel's brought to the offense. In, in as long as I've been watching the Dolphins, you know, um, he, he made Adam Gase look like an offensive dunce, not genius. So I think I think it bodes really well for us. Um, that I think it's probably we're hoping the worst our offense will play all year, um, and we still we never really got out of second gear and won that game. So yeah, so, very, very so good. just looking forward, Steve. That's the week week one out of the way. Is there a bit of a changing of the guard in in the East? You obviously the Bills are being talked about as the as the class of the of the conference, maybe even the NFL. Do you feel like you're you're chasing the Bills? Is it second place the the Dolphins are, are after and and getting that wild card spot? Yeah, I, I mean I've got to be honest. I mean it hurts me to say, but I'm looking around at the moment of the results of the Bengals losing. Um, you know the result the result last night. Um, seeing the Raiders losing. Seeing the Broncos lose, I think, yeah, we, you know, I think the Bills are so strong at the moment, and the Dolphins, I think they've beaten us the last eight times we've played, um, and we haven't come close. To be quite honest, I think this is this is the first year we could start to threaten them, but the gate, the, our, our home game against them comes week three, so actually maybe a little bit early while Josh Allen's playing as well as he is. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, but we haven't. We've been to the playoffs twice in the last um, 14 years and we haven't won a playoff game since George Bush was in office. So, um, you know, I think getting to the playoffs, getting a wild card spot is very, very realistic um, this year. And, uh, and, and I, I think we will do it as well. Um, and Steve, do you, what are your kind of, who on the Ravens are you most worried about coming into week two? Well, it's such an it's it's such an interesting matchup. I think um, before last year, uh, I think you'd beaten us 137 to 16 combined in the previous three games. I wonder if there's ever been three consecutive games between two teams that have had a more one-sided result. I doubt it. Um, we're used to getting brutalised by the Ravens, even when dear old Chad Pennington got us into the playoffs. You know, you soon kicked us out in 2008. In fact. I've got my lovely uh, champions uh, cap on from that year. That's the last time I had any fun, indeed. Um, but I mean, who do who do I fear? Who do we fear? I mean, I think you've obviously got a very strong secondary. I think our our offensive line. We've obviously added Connor Williams and Taron Armstead, who um, are really strong kind of additions for us. But uh, that's coming from a pretty low base. Our offensive line is still is still on the up, and if if you can get some pressure on Tua. You know, and especially kind of encircle him um, because he's he's quite a small quarterback. I think I think you could have some success there um, and maybe force a couple of turnovers. And of course, you know, last year I think we set out an, a, a defensive blueprint against Lamar, but Lamar is a cheat code. So I think there's a very um, reasonable chance that we try and go with a similar game plan again, and maybe Greg Roman's figured us out a little bit. And and you might hit on two or three, uh, two or three long plays. I think we will. Byron Jones is out on injured reserve at the moment, which is a big blow for us. But 
I think X will match up with um, Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman. Um, and then I think it's down to Duvernay and Prochet and, and um, to see how they can stretch the other corners. But the man I fear probably the most is just Mandrews basically chipping away at us um, in, the, in the open zones and, and, and uh, turning the chains over. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that's really the pair. And obviously, a player that I'd hoped we'd draft and you haven't seen much of yet, J.K. Dobbins, will he be back? I think... Um, you know, we got gashed a little bit by the Pats, to be honest, by the run game. And then they had to come out of that because we got we got the lead that we did. I think if you can do a, put a sustained running attack on us, um, you might have us on our on our heels a little bit. So so flipping it round, who, who should we as Ravens fans be worried about on the Dolphins? Who's going to scare us? <clears throat> I think... Um, I think I think when you're on offense, um, I think we are very very good in the secondary. Um, we may have uncovered another gem as well, Kader Kohu, who's in a UDFA, played his first game on Sunday. Darth Kader, they call him, um, and, and and there was a lot of sound coming out around camp about him, and you know in quite a deep secondary room, and he he was absolutely outstanding. Forced a fumble, two PBUs, couple of tackles for losses. Um, and he's really the, the he, you know, he's, it was his first game. Javon Holland, and you guys will will hate me for saying this, but he is he is probably our highest upside player in the secondary, and he has been compared to a future Ed Reed. Um, so um, you know, I think in that you've got you've got um, Brandon Jones from a blitzing position. He, he's very very good timing wise. He'll look to. Um, he'll look to um, sort of deceptive to deceive um, the defence I did a lot of time last year and then come on the blitz um, and he's an exceptional blitzer um, and so I think you know that secondary in general um, it, if we can force you to throw that that's where the game could turn but um, but yeah the, the other guy that really caught the eye and, and I thought we were signing a washed up version of was Melvin Ingram Obviously, a very late season pickup for us, and he was unbelievable on Sunday. Um, obviously, he he recovered the, the 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 fumble for the touchdown, but that was that was sort of although that was a big splash play, it was it was in the rest of his game that he looked like a guy five years younger, you know, in his prime. So, you know, with him, Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, we've got good we've got a good front seven coming forward. So, um, I think I think that will be that will be a challenge for you. But with Lamar, I, I would never rule anything out. You know, that's this guy. It, you, you can break four big plays in that game and win the game, and 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 that's the way I think you'd go about doing it. I think from a from an offensive viewpoint, obviously, I mean, it's, it's Hill and Waddle, isn't it? I mean, um, they've only played one time together, but the speed is frightening. You know, it was eye popping to me. I've ne- never seen anyone on my team. Um, looked like Hill did on Sunday, and uh, and I think he's he's just getting into gear, and and obviously you can't double them both. So um, so yeah, I think um, it will it will depend if I think is Fuller Fuller maybe out for for you injury wise. Yeah, Fuller, Fuller's done. Um, in, in, so I you know I, I think it's can that secondary um, can can that sec- secondary match up and can you get pressure on Tira? That's the key. Speaking of Tua, you've probably been on a bit, on a bit of a, as a Dolphins fan, been on a bit of a journey with, with Tua in terms of how you feel about him. 
how are you feeling about him now? Would you would you take him over Lamar? Or like how how where where are you at with Tua as a as a Dolphins fan? L- little caveat before Steve answers this. I I know Steve pretty well, and I wrote this question on on the show script, and I was I was going to jump in and ask him this because I know he's the president of the Tua Tua fan club, and there's been all this stuff on Twitter all year. Lamar liking pictures of him in the Dolphins jersey. So I just wanted to see where where Steve's at. But Ian, do you also remember my uh, tweets from before the draft where you drafted Lamar? And I said that was who I hoped we'd take. So, um, you know, I'm a huge Lamar Lamar fan. I was prior to that draft. I'm a huge Tua fan. Um, I think I think he's been in an, a horrendous situation for a, for a quarterback. Like, you know, Brian Flores is is a very was a very strange and he morphed into a very strange individual by last year. He was obsessed with trying to bring in Deshaun Watson. Um, the organisation wanted Brady before that. So Tua's kind of got drafted, but had no one no one to love him, really. Um, and a historically bad offensive line last year. And everything's been against him. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's got it in him he, to, to, to be a maybe a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Um I don't think he's probably ever going to be a top five quarterback because he doesn't have the physical tools. But in terms of his decision-making, his accuracy, um, how cerebral he is, I, he, and, and how, how kind of... Um, he, he's, he's good at just getting off the spot and making a play. However, converse to that, if you get him off-platform throwing, that's his big weakness, and his weaker arm shows up, and that's where, that's where he can get into trouble. I think the the reality is, and it's a, I think people have been saying this about Tua for ages. I think he, we probably know in about six to eight games what we've got there, um, because I think this is the first time he's been given everything he needs to succeed. Um, and I, I think sort of by the end of October, we'll have a very good idea if we've got a franchise quarterback or if we need to move on next year. And before we go on to asking you for a prediction for this week's game, tell us a little bit about the how the how everything is settled after the Flores um, accusations and the the back and forth that went with that. The team received a punishment from the league. Is it all kind of is everybody moved on and that's all in the past now? Is that still kind of rumbling? Does everybody blame Bill Belichick for basically somehow setting this whole thing in motion? What's going on? No, I don't think you can blame anyone other than the owner, to be honest, um, sadly. And, and he blames it on Bruce Beale, who was his owner-in-waiting, who he's now struck off um, from being the next Dolphins owner. I think, um, look, we are, you know, I, I've looked at the Ravens with admiration from afar for many a year. You, it, it, sometimes it might not seem it when you're in the middle of it, but you've got such a well-run franchise. You've had... You know, with Aussie and, 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 you know, moving forward, such good, um, such good set of GMs. John Harbour's fantastic head coach. We've been a car crash in the Dolphins for years and years and years. But the funny thing is, is with all of this sort of desperate kind of activity happening, you know, as a fan, you hate to lose a, a first and a third round draft pick, um, especially, a, you know, a year after you barely had, uh, barely had any in the last draft. But Mike McDaniel has—he's—he's he's been the black—he's been the uh, the blackboard eraser to all of this. I mean, the guy is his personality is unbelievable, and you're concerned when a coach comes in and is so good with the chat and is so good at getting everyone moving in the right direction. You think, well, can he coach, or is he just a spokesperson? 
and you know by all accounts from from what's been what's been seen in pre-season what's been seen in training camp and what was seen on Sunday god he can coach he really can coach and um I think he's a very very special individual and he's going to take the Dolphins um some good heights he I, I, we have never had a coach like him with his kind of the way he speaks makes everyone believe and and it always makes sense and it's never it's never bull you know it's always bang on and I think his the positivity he's brought and the signing of Tyreek has made some of these horrendous kind of decisions of the last year kind of move away a little bit because we've got hope it's the Dolphins haven't had five elite players in a, in in on a roster since the 80s they they simply haven't you know this is the best roster we've had since I've been an adult basically so you know I think I think it's finally after a lot of pain uh, a positive time to look forward to over the next two or three years until the next uh, in, until the next transgression that I had our owners done comes along of course so with that that stacked roster and new head coach in mind what is what's your prediction for this Sunday what are you expecting it's really, really hard after being thumped so regularly by the Ravens. Having such optimism now and with that result last year, it all hinges, doesn't it, on if 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 Boyer has figured out Roman and Lamar or not. I think I think the game hinges on that. I think you've got a good D. We'll get maybe 20 to 24 points. It's all about can Lamar expose us a very, very aggressive blitzing D which is what it will be again. It will be the amoeba package. It will be all 11 up at the line, circling around where the blitz is coming from. Um, you probably need to hit on, on three or four of those big plays to win the game. Um, I'm going to suggest you hit on three of them and then the Dolphins nick it 24-23. Wow, okay. Close game then. Um, that's going to be an interesting one to look forward to. Well, enjoy the game. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, are you on social media? Can Ravens follow your following of the game at the weekend? They certainly can. I'm on at What's He Up To. Great. Okay. Well, uh, you may be joined for, you know, somebody reminding you of the score or everybody just <laughs> sloping away quietly if it all goes badly wrong. Who knows? Um, so thanks a lot and enjoy the game, Steve. Thanks to you guys and good luck for the season ahead. So thanks to Steve, who is predicting a close one on Sunday. And, uh, well, we'll get to our predictions in a minute. It means we've all got to start thinking of what scores we're expecting. Uh, but while we're doing that, we started a feature last week that I almost completely forgot to continue after joking about it being one of those features that we start and then forget about. Uh, where I talk a little bit about our upcoming opponent and how their history interrelates with Baltimore and Baltimore football. Uh, and so this week, it's the connection is with Miami rather than with the Dolphins specifically. Um, and it goes back to a team called the Miami Seahawks, who were the first professional football team uh, to play in Miami. And they played in the All-America Football Conference, which is one of the periodic rival uh, football leagues that showed up. They showed up in the late 40s. Uh, the AAFC is the league that brought us the Browns. That's why the Browns are um, in the NFL today. And of course, the Browns went on to, to move to Baltimore and become today's Ravens. And also the 49ers came through uh, 
um, that conference. Basically, the 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 AAFC couldn't keep itself going. Rather than merging, as the AFL would do sort of a decade or so later, the NFL said they were only interested in, in three of those teams. Um, but one team that struggled particularly were the Miami Seahawks, who lasted a year and then collapsed and sold the franchise to Baltimore. Um, and so Baltimore got its first professional football team, a team called the Baltimore Colts. But not those ones. Not the Baltimore Colts that went one day moved to Indianapolis and today play as the Indi- Indianapolis Colts because though that team could not sustain itself either. They weren't doing a very good job. I mean, essentially the whole conference was struggling along. Only the Browns were really doing well. Um, the NFL really wanted to take the Buffalo Bills out of the AAFC into the NFL. And it's not those Buffalo Bills either. This is, and this is all incredibly confusing with the sheer number of names that got reused. But two things happened with those teams. So they didn't take the Buffalo Bills. They were persuaded to take the the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts did so badly, they became a sort of roving team in the final season of the year where they didn't really have a home base. But they sort of, everybody kind of played them and and almost certainly beat them, I think. Um, The Buffalo Bills folded with the league, but when the AFL came back a bit later and Buffalo was awarded a franchise because it was only 10 or so years ago, everyone had quite fond memories of the short-lived Bills. So they they named their new team after uh, the Buffalo Bills of the AAFC. And the same thing happened in Baltimore. So it was much later on that the Dallas Texans had kind of failed to stick in Dallas, uh, partly due to the Cowboys and also due to immense racism. Uh, And so they moved to to Baltimore to become uh, a new team. And again, they were trying to come up with a name for their team. And they went back to the Baltimore Colts, who had been briefly popular um, with the AAFC. But one thing that did stick in between those teams, so the original Baltimore Colts collapsed um, when they failed to, to stick in the NFL. But in that gap between the first Baltimore Colts collapsing and the new Baltimore Colts returning, one thing that did stick was their marching band, which stayed in Baltimore all of that time until the Colts came back again. And then when the Colts left to go to Indianapolis, as we now all know, the band still stayed in Baltimore, partly because the Colts forgot about them and left all their stuff behind. But uh, they stayed until the Ravens arrived. So that marching band that takes to the field on Sunday, first home game of the season, is the same marching band that, that was formed for the original Baltimore Colts in the late 1940s and actually is a team that was inherited through the first professional football team in Miami, the Miami Seahawks. Uh, So anyway, now with the TED Talk out of the way, we can go on to talk about the game against the Dolphins. Our very own Gaz Paul is going to be there in the crowd, so hopefully he's going to see uh, the first first home win of the season. Uh, James, what's the key or what are the keys to the Ravens going 2-0 this weekend? Yeah, it's it's an interesting matchup this weekend. I I find it great that Gaz is in Miami for this game because I feel like uh, Mike McDaniel is his spirit animal head coach. Um, within the NFL, it seems like a, he's he's kind of like that. You should, if anybody hasn't seen stuff from Mike McDaniel this off season, he's had some uh, really really interesting quotes. He's definitely a character, uh, and that was something that um, that Steve referred to earlier. I think uh, this is a really interesting matchup from a sense of Mike McDaniel has uh, has transformed that offense. Uh, Mike McDaniel, if anybody doesn't know, was has basically followed Cal Shanahan around um, his entire career. Uh, so he's been in lots of different stops with Shanahan. Um, but what's been interesting about that is one of the reasons why Kyle, why Kyle Shanahan is 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 the kind of offense, offensive mind that he is. 
is because of all of the the coaches you know he's he's been under over the course of his career obviously his dad um mike shanahan in in denver uh but also you know he's so mike mcdaniel has also been with many other coaches around so he he went uh, and worked under gary kubiak with the texans um you know has also worked he also worked in the um Mike Shanahan Washington team that had Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, um, Sean McVay, Mike LaFleur, like all of these guys all worked on the same offense um, in Washington under uh, under Kyle's dad. And so Mike McDaniel has been around all of that. So he's he's soaked in a lot and, and clearly takes from lots of different lots of different schemes. And his his um his hires have been really interesting as well. He's brought in Frank Smith as the offensive coordinator, who was the um, running game coordinator at the Chargers last year. So that's Joe Lombardi was the offensive coordinator there, who came from the Saints. So he's trying to bring in a bit of a bit of that New Orleans offense. He's um, uh, also brought in Daryl Bevel um, as the the quarterback coach, and Daryl Bevel was the Seahawks offensive coordinator for many years during there there big run to the to the Super Bowl so there's a bunch of influence there uh, and it was an interesting first first outing against against um Bill Belichick's Patriots what really happened I think was you know you saw the kind of staples of this uh, staples of what this offense will be which is uh you know the wide zone offense which is something that the Ravens have literally just faced against the Jets pretty much although uh, slightly different um versions of it uh, and basically getting the ball into Tyree Kills and Jalen Waddle's hands and letting them run riot. Uh, that, that is the, the kind of way. They also use them as a bit of a decoy for, for Chase Edmonds out of the backfield. Um, their tight ends aren't really anything to write home about, but they, they used a lot of them. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting offense that the Ravens are going to have to go up against. So, um, you know, Mike McDonald is going to have a, a really interesting second test. Um, going up against McDaniel, so that'll be really a really good matchup to watch on that side of the ball. And clearly, on the other side of the ball, the 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 big thing is, do the Dolphins do what they did um, a few years uh, last year? Do, the, do are they going to use that blueprint um, that Flores created for them and 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 operate it again? I'm actually hoping that they do. I think that is a key to the game if they do, because their defensive line is scary. Uh, Christian Wilkins is a monster now and is a real, real handful. You've got Ogba, you've got Zach Seiler, who uh, used to play for the Ravens, who um, ended up in Miami and is a very good run defender and also uh, gets after the passer. They've got some real juice up front with Jalen Phillips and, and Melvin Ingram too. I don't actually think they need to blitz. Um like I think they're gonna they're gonna give our offensive line all they can handle without blitzing, and I think if they do blitz, I'm not sure it's gonna go the same way. The Ravens had plenty of um, chances to win to win that game. Um, people forget that the Greg Roman did dial up some good plays. He did dial up some of the things that were right. It's just the Ravens wide receivers did not make enough plays to win the game. So I'm kind of hoping they do blitz the Ravens because I think that's a quick there is a a better route to winning that game um if that's the case uh you can check out all of my my uh matchups to watch and all of the the keys to the game in um, in my battle plans piece that comes out on Russell Street Report every Thursday uh this one's a, an interesting one I definitely get into depth about how the the Ravens offense could could combat that approach if they do take it again so it's interesting on both sides of the ball. How important is it 
do you think that Marcus Peters is able to start against that wide receiver duo? Or do you reckon, in the absence of Fuller, do you reckon there's still enough in the secondary, even if they're not confident in putting Marcus Peters out there? I think you're going to have to do a lot of it with scheme because I'm not sure even with putting Peters, I'm not sure Peters will be, you know, his full self if they do put him out there. So I I think, you know, they're going to have to try and contain as best they can Hill and Waddle. Um, but I think the, the way you do it is pressure on Tua. Um, that really is the, the way you do it. Now, they can really hurt you if you don't tackle behind that. You know, behind that pressure that you put on Tua. So if you do send more than the four um, and you don't, you aren't able to to tackle in the open field, which has been a problem for the Ravens for a long time now, um, you know, they they will really hurt you because the the, the way that they were looking to get um, uh, Waddle and Hill involved in the game was it, in those situations where they're able to catch the ball um you know, with a with a very sort of low depth of target, and then get after it with with yards after the catch. So, I think it's it would be great if Marcus Peters is back, uh, but I, I don't think it's you know it's the end of the world if he's not back because I don't think he'll be at, at fullest full full um, full speed anyway. So it just feels like it's a it's a game where you've got to do as much as you can. And great, it would be great if we had Peters on the field, but it just feels like there's a there's a big task ahead of the Ravens anyway. Um, and the key is definitely going to be pressure on, on Tua. And when the Ravens have got the ball, as you say, the, the, you know, Greg Raymond has to go into this game with a plan for what if they run the same thing again, because the, the, the reaction would just be immense if he gets caught the same way twice. Um, but it, it was, I was also interested in what Steve said when we spoke to him about how he feels like the Ravens could run the ball pretty effectively against this Dolphins defensive front what's your thinking on that I mean the you know we said at the beginning of the show took a while for the Ravens game to get going running against the Jets there were some miscues do you think they can iron that out and and go back to running as the core of what they do and have some success I think they can but I think the Dolphins will find find ways of stopping it I think it's it's it is it is a definite key to the game being able to run the ball but I think we we can say that about every single game in the NFL, pretty much. So, I, I do think that it it, it is a um, it is a little bit of a weakness of theirs. But I, I, you know, watching the film from week one, I'm not sure that it was kind of a, a glaring thing that stood out to me as something that they, you know, are, are, are any more to take advantage of them than than most other teams. Um, it would be great if the Ravens can can bring that running game back up to scratch and, and can establish it early, um, and that will of course help. Um, with slowing down that that pass rush as well, but I think uh, yeah, it's it, it's a key to a key, key to the game, but I don't think any more so than than any other week. I think. And the difference, of course, between uh, this week's game against the Dolphins and last year's, and against uh, between week week two and week one, is that the Ravens are at home this time, so they have the crowd on their side. Um, the Dolphins have to cope with the noise um, rather than the other way around. I mean, actually, there's not that much noise in Miami, is there? But you know what I mean. Um, there's no Sammy Watkins to give up on a touchdown pass because he lost no. it in the lights. And that's one thing we didn't talk about, actually, because it just reminded me that when, when the Ravens play in Miami, if they if the TV shows the national anthem, you can always hear that Baltimore O oh, really, really loudly in Miami. Um, and how loud was it in New York? 
that was that was really really noticeable that how many Ravens fans there were in New York for that game. I thought because you can that's always your kind of tell if you can hear them shouting the O during during the anthem. You know, there's a lot of Ravens fans in the crowd. Uh, anyway, we're going to go to our predictions. I've given no consideration whatsoever to mine, but uh, I get to go last, so that's good. Um, Ian, you've you've just been saying thinking while James has been talking keys to the game. So what what are you going to go with for your prediction? Uh, I've just been soaking all this in, take, taking it in. Um, this is this is a tricky one because I feel like if we can if we can squeak this one out with the Patriots next week as well, it could be a really nice little start before we get to the the Bills. I'm I'm looking ahead, aren't I? I'm running too far ahead. Uh, I've got the Ravens winning this one, twenty-seven to twenty-three. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a close one. I think the offense is, is going to turn up a little bit more than than they did. They, I think, like you said, like we've said, the, the week one was was almost a, a preseason week four game. Lamar hasn't played a game of football since November December time. Um, so hope, hopefully they're they're back in the groove now. They've they've been hit. They're hitting a few people. So I'm going Ravens twenty seven twenty three. And for my player prop, uh, I'm going with a, a, a Kenyon Drake revenge game. And I think he's going to have a touchdown on the ground. And I think he's going to have... I think I saw the Ravens run a successful screen, which, uh, <laughs> which Drake took for at least a, at least 10 yards. So I think he's going to have one on the ground and one one through the air. I'm pretty sure I also saw him in the huddle saying, I don't know what that play is a couple of times. So hopefully he's had, <laughs> he's had his nose in the playbook. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm backing Drake this week. Okay, cool. Uh, and James, what are you going for? I'm going for a 23-14 Ravens victory this week. Um, I think the Ravens will get over the the hoodoo of um, of the Miami Blitz uh, Blitzkrieg. So I do think that the Ravens will get uh, a, a win this week. And I, my player prop is that uh, Rashad Bateman will go for a 50-plus um, yard touchdown again um, at some point in this game. Wow, okay. That would be good. Um, so I am going to also go for a Ravens win. Um, despite last year's game, I think the Ravens being at home and having had uh, the week one to kind of shake off a bit of the rust, I think they win this one 24 17. Um, I'm tempted to, to, to look at likely again as a player prop, but I'm going to give him a week off just in case I'm not, you know, just in case I'm cursing him or something. If he keeps um, getting done for holding calls, then Harbaugh's going to give him a week off as well. So he needs to true. clean that up. <laughs> It's true. That was his most significant impact on the stats uh, in week one. So I'm going to go away from him for a week. Um, I am going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with a Calais Campbell sack and fumble recovery, which may be two separate incidents, or they might happen on the same play. Don't know. I'm not I'm like the crystal ball's a bit murky as far as that goes, but I'm going for those two things happening at some point in the game um so all of us predicting wins steve predicting a narrow win for the dolphins so we'll see what it's like it's another 6 p.m kickoff um ravens at home this time don't forget that uh, the first meetup of the season is rapidly approaching it's week four october the second ravens take on the bills and we're meeting up at the fitzrovia bell tottenham court road central london uh, pretty straightforward to get to if you're going to the first um nfl uk game of the season as well tickets are available now and 10 pounds gets you in and gets you a drink how are the tickets going ian what's the turnout like yeah. 
yeah, so far. we uh, last time I looked, and this was this was pre weekend. There was just under half of them had sold, so um, we set them at forty. So yeah, we're approaching about twenty at the minute, um, but we can we can up that space if there's a late rush as well. Cool. Okay, so um, get your tickets if you haven't already. It'll be great to see you there. Um, we will be back next Thursday, the twenty second. We'll be reviewing a, um, a Ravens win over the Dolphins uh, and previewing a Week Three clash against New England. Uh, if you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at ukravensshow at gmail We'd love to have you on and hear from more of your voices. Um, we'll also wrap up the breaking news next week as well. I forgot to mention that. Until next week. Let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Well, we've just got an email in from uh, legendary defensive coordinator Wade Phillips to point out that one extra pass rusher is a dog and two or more extra pass rushers is a blitz and Wade is going to die on that hill.